You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. At the end of December, it looked like the bottom was falling out of the markets. But now the TSX and the Dow Jones are within a stone's throw of being back at all-time high levels since their climb back from the brink began. It's yet another piece of proof that you cannot time the markets. So will the market get through its previous all-time highs? Do changing market conditions mean that you should adjust your portfolio? I am here with Alan Small, Senior Investment Advisor at Alan Small Financial Group with Hollis Wealth. Welcome. Thanks so much for being with us. Great to be here as always. Okay. So first, before we get right into it, I'm going to give the numbers out again. Alan is here. He's going to give us his best advice and he's ready to take your calls and answer your questions. The numbers 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. So Alan, uh, what do you make of the markets being back and is it time to readjust our thinking? Oh, yeah, and that's a great question. And I think, I I guess when I look back, I readjusted the way I was thinking somewhere around the first week of January. And um, interesting, you know, towards the end of last year, the markets were falling. We, many of us knew that a lot of it was based on what was happening in the, the political world. And, you know, for myself, I didn't know how long that was going to last. So playing defense seemed to be a lot more appropriate uh, in December, let's say. And it was, uh, I think, the first week of January where jobs data was reported for the month of December. And the U.S. reported over 300,000 jobs were created. Here in Canada, we, I think we grew by about just under 10,000 jobs, but we had grown a lot of jobs uh, previous. And so that got me thinking that, you know, I, you don't really see recessions when you're growing jobs by that much. When you see an unemployment rate as low as it is in both countries, when you see growth still happening. And so... At that point, I said to myself, this is overdone. The market is pricing in what it thinks could be a recession coming down, down, the, down the road not in the not-so-distant future. I disagreed at that point, and I went from a defensive standpoint to a more of an offensive. So going from buying utilities, telecoms, pipelines, perhaps, to buying tech, banking, et cetera. And I, you know, it served my clients well. We, you know, I guess the rest is now history. You know, the first two months of this year have been fantastic. The market has bounced back significantly and back near its all-time high, roughly, I think, just within 5% on both sides of the border. Okay, but uh, I mean, it seems to be human nature that for most of us who are not professionals and who maybe don't have such strong stomachs that when things are dropping, we pull back uh, instead of buying low. And now that things are going back up, people want to jump back in, but you'll be buying high. That's right. And then, you know, buy low, sell high, right? I guess that's the the old saying that everybody knows, but how many of us can actually do it? How many of us have that iron stomach to buy when the media and the newspapers, TV, everyone's saying that there's doom and gloom out there? How, how can you be a buyer? And I think if one can be a contrarian, buy when those are, are fearful and be fearful, I guess, when those are greedy and the market's going up, uh, famous Warren Buffett saying, I think that is the best recipe for success. I think that is how individuals make money over time. Mm-hmm. Have you 
change? You say you've changed from defensive kind of stocks to offensive. So what are you looking at? Well, a great question. And, and so I went from, you know, basically taking a more uh, a defensive approach, more cautious approach to looking for diamonds in the rough. At that point, beginning of this year, there were a lot of stocks that were trading at uh, earnings multiples that were in the single digits. And we're still seeing some of those opportunities till this day. And so we went from, or I went from, you know, not really paying attention saying, okay, well, something is cheap, but maybe it can go cheaper to now saying, or back then saying, it's now cheap. I think it's now going to turn around. And I guess got a little lucky in terms of on the political front. We started to hear a lot more positive news out of the U.S.-China trade talks, which I think has helped tremendously. And this market has really taken off. But make no mistake, I think until a deal happens between China and the U.S., which really affects everything right across the globe, in my opinion, this market for now, I think, is sort of range-bound, kind of taking a wait-and-see approach. So we're back near the all-time highs that we saw last fall. What's going to take us to get through these high levels again or these old highs? I think it's going to take a trade deal from China and the U.S. to break through these, uh, I guess, these previous highs. Uh, what about the fact that, you know, the bull market had such a long run? I mean, there, there comes a point, you know, all good things come to an end. It does. But I guess the way I look at it is, you know, bull runs don't end just because they've lasted 10 years. I don't think you can ever put a, a time frame on it. I think this bull run has lasted as long as it has for a few reasons. One is that we don't see inflation. And you could probably thank the Amazons, the Walmarts, the Costcos of the world for that. The Amazon effect, I think, is having a huge effect right across the world in terms of keeping costs down. I think the fact that you know uh, individual companies have been able to produce goods a lot cheaper in places like China, bring them back over to the United States and Canada at, at, at low cost, they've been able to keep their costs down. Therefore, inflation has not been an issue. We tend to find at this point in time during a market cycle, inflation starts to tick higher, interest rates start to rise, and that's what leads to the market's kind of tailing off. We haven't come to that point yet. We thought we saw it maybe towards the end of last year, but here we are again talking about how inflation is really low again. Oil prices are really low. Uh, Anything that can cause inflation or most things seem to be not an event right now. So I think this market can still go on strong for a little bit longer. Okay. You mentioned politics. Uh, Stephen in Parkdale has a question about politics in the markets. Hi, Stephen. How are you doing today? Fine, thanks. That's good. Okay, my question is, how does one find out what the construction industries are in uh, Quebec, and would this not be a good time to find second or third place and invest in them, considering what's happening with SNC? And that's a great question. I think it leads to what we were just talking about, being a contrarian, trying to find those diamonds in the rough, trying to make sense out of what's happening, obviously, with the SNC situation. Are there construction companies, engineering firms that are being hit, sort of collateral damage in this whole thing? We've seen SNC, as an example, fall in terms of stock price 20%, yet every analyst or many analysts, I should say, maybe not every, but most analysts still actually have buy targets. On for, for S&C. With target prices, I've seen them as high as $50, $60 a share. Stock price is somewhere in the mid-30s right now. So, would you, would you buy it now? I have looked at it. I have not pulled the trigger as yet, but it is definitely on my radar. I will definitely say yes. So this is something that being a contrarian, looking for companies that have fallen for certain reasons, but not really related to the business 
uh, the, and how well they're doing. Again, look at S&C Lavalin. You know, there are estimates that say they're, they're a big, you know, a partial owner of the 407 ETR, the highway just north of Toronto. And, um, there's, I've seen estimates saying that because of their ownership in this highway, that's worth about $25, $30 a share. Well, you have S&C trading at around $35 a share today. So how much more is the rest of their business worth? I think a lot more than $5 a share. So there is an argument to say that S&C is undervalued. So even if they're convicted, uh, you know, it would bar them from bidding on contracts here, though that legislation may be changed. And that legislation exists in other countries. Yeah. And you bring up a good point. So then you have to delve into it and say, how much of SNC's business is in Canada? I think it's, I believe it's under 30%. I think it's somewhere around 25, 26%. Can, how well can they do? How big is their backlog? Over 14 billion in backlog orders. So can this company, if something were to happen like that, could they still go forward? And, uh, and back to, I guess, the, your original question is, are there, you know, things to buy related uh, opportunities? I think they're very, mel- very may well be. You just have to do your homework and try and find them. Okay. Uh, that's fascinating. <laughs> so, you know, maybe SNC and all of this is a buy. It took a huge hit. We're going to take a quick break now, but we will be back with more from Alan Small and he'll be taking more of your questions and comments. The numbers to call before we go to break, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740, and we'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. It's time for a plan and a strategy as Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio puts a financial management advisor in your corner. Alan Small of the Alan Small Financial Group with Hollis Wealth. Welcome back. I'm here with Alan Small. We are talking about the market conditions and taking your calls and questions. Let's go to Ken in Hamilton. Hi, Ken. Hi, how are you doing? Fine, how are you? Good. Um, My question is, does the stock market affect mutual funds? Well, I guess, uh, Ken, it really just depends on what kind of mutual fund you own. Uh, there are many mutual funds that do buy or do purchase stocks that trade on the stock market. So any equity mutual fund, yes, will be affected by how the stock market performs. There's a mutual fund manager whose job it is to buy and sell different stocks if it is a equity or stock mutual fund. So I guess to answer your question, it really depends on the type of mutual fund. But if you own an equity mutual fund, then yes, the stock market definitely would affect its performance. Thank you very much. My pleasure. You're welcome. Uh, So we were talking in the break about perception and reality and when it comes to buying stocks. And Interesting, you mentioned Facebook in the news, getting dumped on for all the terrible things they're doing, but they're doing well on the market. It's amazing, you know, and and the market tends to move a lot on perception versus reality. So using Facebook as an example, all we've heard is about the negativity, you know, everything about the information sharing and, and, and all the things that Facebook has done wrong over the past, I guess, a bunch of years with respect to the information they have been collecting, I guess. And so here you have the stock that was once at $218 a share at a high, all the way down to maybe $120, $125 a share, almost lost half its value. And you would think that the stock 
or the company was not doing well. Well, this past earnings report, Facebook really knocked the the ball out of the park. They still continue to have many businesses advertising through them. Them along with, I would say, Google are probably the two main platforms that individuals choose to use to advertise. And we know that Facebook's mobile, uh, the percentage of mobile advertising that it has now is just off the charts. So Facebook had great earnings. Stock has gone from 125-ish all the way up to, as of today, I believe, close to $170 a share again. And so here you have a situation where perception, not so good, reality, very good. And the stock finally came around to realizing the reality of the situation and the stock goes up. But you can make this comment for, for the economy in general. Uh, you can speak from a macro level or a micro or a company specific level. Perception, unfortunately, can be more powerful than reality. Okay, well, but speaking of ads, you know, just yesterday, Google decided it is not going to have political ads in Canada during the election because of the new rules to manage them, they said, are too onerous. Um, it's actually good for old media like us, uh, but uh, but uh, I have to say, I, I mean, I don't know how much of their business would be Canadian election ads, so... Yeah, probably not a huge part of their business, but but I think it's obviously smart for these companies to stay away from the the minefields, if you will. You know, they don't want to any negative coverage, any negative press is obviously not good. So I think it's a good move by by them for sure. Okay, let's go to Bill in Toronto. Hi, Bill. Hi, um, I've got two kids that are uh, in their twenties, and uh, they don't, you know, they're doing all right, but they they can't, you know, they're not in a position to save. Anyways, I've got them to open two uh, TFSAs. And I'm going to contribute to them, but I'm the one with the passwords to them. I'm going to run them. First of all, is that ethical? Can you do it? Is it it ethical? Can you do it? I would say you can do it. I know there are a lot of people that do open up uh, TFSAs for their adult children. And uh, in terms of ethics, I guess that's between you and your kids for sure. But but overall, I think it, it is a good opportunity to get more money working for for your family, let's say, on a tax-free basis. Uh, Bill, are you saying that you, you don't trust the kids not to dip into those for things that you might not consider a good reason? You know what? If, 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 if it was sitting there 25 years from now for them and it had grown and become something really substantial and you know when I passed away or whatever when my wife passes away here's the passwords to this here's this money that's accumulated it's tax free I mean why why am I going to keep it so it can be taxed to go to them and it makes sense you know you're basically leaving uh, you're creating a legacy for for your children and investing on their behalf and and uh, whether you know how whatever you want to tell them how it works or whatnot at some point you may want to use this maybe as a teaching moment so they can maybe learn from what you're doing for them I think that would be probably a good thing to do but but overall it, it, you can do it uh, they can open an account and you can invest for them Okay, so uh, it, it just would never hurt to, to have it there. But I'm in total control of it with the passwords. I can t- sell the stock. I can transfer money in or out. And uh, it's all transparent to the government, right? Well, in terms of transparency, I, I'm not sure the government will look to see who's making the contribution. I just think at the end of the day, 
government is looking to make sure that obviously if it, if an account is in your children's name, then if your children were to phone up and whoever's administering the plan and were to ask some questions, they would have to answer those questions. This is yeah. technically your kids' accounts. Now, if you're you know cutting the check to put into the account, that's great. You can gift cash anytime you like. There's yeah. it's not a taxable event. So basically, your children are investing. You are helping them do that, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So long term, do I put uh, a dividend stocks in or high gain, uh, high risk stocks? High gain, that depends on your risk tolerance and your risk level. Uh, my recipe for tax-free savings accounts over the past, I guess, nine, 10 years has been to buy dividend-paying stocks and uh, good quality ones, good quality Canadian dividend pairs so that you're getting a nice dividend and not paying any tax on that dividend. Some might disagree with that strategy because you're not getting taking the advantage of the dividend tax credit. But for me, I think buying shares of some of your banks or insurance companies or good quality Canadian names paying good dividends makes sense. And I think, uh, you know, they will grow over time tax shelter. That's the way I've invested over my life. So I agree with you 100%. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, Bill. Thanks for that. There you go. I mean, just the other day, we saw a survey about how much people from our generation, boomers, are are paying to support their adult children and whether or not it's taking a chunk out of their own savings for retirement. Yeah. And, and you know, more and more we're hearing about adult children coming back to live with their parents. And, and that obviously is pay, taking its toll on many people. You know, they're having to care for their parents as they get older. And then you have your adult children coming back, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, and uh, becoming, uh, uh, you know, taking its toll on, on the, the person as well. So, it's uh, it's difficult, and uh, living here in the Toronto area obviously is not cheap, and so it uh, it definitely plays a part in, in how you put aside money, what you do with the money, how you invest the money. This all plays a factor. Uh-huh, and, uh, you know, we just heard from Bill saving money on behalf of his kids, and we know that it, it's harder for the younger generation in terms of making ends meet. Is that something that you get a lot of? From time to time, I would say yes. I think uh, whether it's opening up a tax-free savings account or opening up when their kids are younger, trust accounts, interest accounts for the children, I think more and more families, parents are setting aside money, setting aside in our ESPs for the, for the children's education. I think you see that more often than not. And the opportunity to invest, I think everyone should take advantage of it. Because right now, if you just put money under your pillow uh, in, a, in a shoebox in your backyard or in a savings account at the bank, you're just not making enough to keep up with the rising cost of living. And so you definitely need to invest. And I think those that do will be further ahead. Okay, let's take a call from Keith in Rochester. Hi, Keith. Yes, I'm a conservative American, and a few of us are surmising that when Trump wins re-election next year, he won't have that to worry about again, and that he will start working even much closer with the Democrats, even to the tune of abandoning his conservative base. Looking into your crystal ball, what investment advice would you think might come about when Trump reverts back to being what he is, a Manhattan Democrat? That's that's an interesting question. uh, My crystal ball, um, you know, it's difficult. I I know uh, Mr. Trump obviously is pro-business. He has campaigned uh, on that. His idea of cutting taxes, uh, he still wants to cut taxes even further. Uh, deregulation, uh, he's put in place. This has all helped 
uh, boost the economy in the U.S., there's no doubt. The question becomes, how long does this boost last? Uh, a lot of people feel as though it's starting to wear out as we move into 2019 and 2020. So very hard to say. Uh, you know, it'll, a lot of it will depend on what his policy on trade is. Do, does he come to an agreement with China? Will buying individual stocks that are multinational businesses, will they benefit from Donald Trump? Will buying technology benefit from Donald Trump? These are all things that uh, I guess will remain to be seen. But I think it is very difficult. I think overall, he is definitely a pro-business type president. The question becomes, how far does he go to push through his agenda? And I guess time will tell. I think he's going to be spending more, and it's going to be more debt for us. He's going to become a big-time spender. He, he, Trump, unlike us true conservatives, does not care at all about our national deficit. He does not care how much we owe. Well, I think I, I was going to say, I, I, to a certain degree, I guess you, you know, the United States can get away with that. But at some point, uh, your debts can only get so high, and at some point, they will become an issue for the country, if not already. And we're hearing more and more talk about this within their own caucus, within their own Republican, within their own Democrats. Debt, you can't just keep boring, boring, and boring to, to the, you know, sky's the limit. At some point, you have to pay off your debt. It will begin to affect your credit rating and, and many other things. So uh, we've been talking about politics today, and we are six months from an election here. And should people be taking that into account? Well, I think, yes. Uh, I think that, you know, a lot of individuals lately, obviously, taking a second look at the prime minister with respect to what's going on with the SNC-Lavalin scandal issue event. Uh, My take maybe is a little bit different, Uh, you know, whether or not you want to vote liberal in the upcoming election or not. To me, I'm a business person, so I'm looking at it from more of a, a business standpoint, you know, tax platform, uh, you know, what's what's government, you know, what are they doing to make this country more competitive? Uh, to me, those are things that are more important than whether or not the prime minister may have said something to to sway uh, attorney general into doing something. So I'm looking at more at it from a business perspective, whether or not you want to vote red or blue or liberal or, or, or conservative. I think to me, you know, can the prime minister be reelected? Can he make this country more competitive or should someone else be there that could do it better? Uh, do I agree with his his tax? Tax reforms is you know how he how he's doing things, and I think that's how I will vote. Well, no, I, I wasn't actually meaning in terms of voting, but is there anything that that we should do in terms of our investing ahead of the election? I'm not so sure anything at this point is necessary to do um, at this, you know, looking ahead. I think the election is still a little ways away. Yes, it's, it's, I guess, from a political standpoint, not so far away. But I think the markets, keep in mind, our markets here move more so with what happens in the United States or let's just say outside of our borders versus within. I think our dollar is heavily affected by what happens uh, within Canada, whether it's interest rates or whatnot. But our stock market, because we are such a large exporter to the United States, the United States politics, United States economy probably affects our stock stock market a lot more. And so I think we need to continue to look to what's happening in the U.S. and obviously the China-U.S. trade negotiations. That's going to be a key event can they get a deal done? If they do, I think you'll see stock market here and in the U.S. go higher. Okay. That is all the time we have. Thank you so much, Alan Small. As always, we appreciate your advice. Thank you.
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. 